the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Okay, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome or welcome back. It's 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. It's Crosswalk with Gina Geraci. And, of course, um, it's Tough Question Tuesday. And if you'd like to join me on the program, well, it's as simple as picking up your phone, Dialing the number 303-873-1935, the producer Jim will ask you, hey, what's your question? And we'll make every effort to get your question on the program, 303-873-1935. We were touching on the subject of illegal aliens and... Again, I know that that's not um, the politically correct term, but does the scripture, does the Bible talk about illegal immigration? And for some people, they're thinking, no, the Bible's position is no sovereign country and no, um, no closed borders. But that's not the real question at hand. And so the big question becomes, in in order for it to be wrong to violate a nation's borders and transgress the immigration laws, that presupposes that a nation inherently, legitimately cannot have borders or laws surrounding entry. And in principle... The Bible talks about government and the ability of the government to make laws and expect those laws to be obeyed. So in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, it talks about the fact that government has laws and there is this expectation. Yes, there is this expectation of obeying the laws of the government. So for the Christian who says, I'm not under the law, well, that's not exactly true. There is um, laws that that Christians were expected to obey even in the first century. Now, the only exception to that is when the law of a government forces you to disobey a command of God. And, of course, that principle is found in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where it says, you know, where, you know, you'll remember Peter and the apostles have been preaching in the name of Jesus. The religious leaders told them to stop it, and they responded with, we must obey God rather than men. So imagine, um, you know, a government makes it illegal to share Christ, preach the gospel, point people to Jesus, um, 
proclaim the gospel of repentance of sin and turning to God in Christ. So illegal immigration is the breaking of a government's law. And there's nothing in the scripture that contradicts the idea of a sovereign nation having immigration laws. And therefore, it's rebellion against God to unlawfully enter another country. Illegal immigration is a sin. So illegal immigration is definitely a controversial issue in the United States and some other countries. Now, imagine um, there are problems in Australia, in other countries where people have immigration laws, have asylum laws, have refugee laws, and some will argue perhaps fairly or unfairly, persuasively or unpersuasively, that certain immigration laws are unfair, unjust. They might argue that they're even discriminatory, thus giving individuals justification to immigrate illegally. However, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, doesn't give any permission to violate a law just because it's perceived as unjust. Again, the issue is not the fairness of the law. The only biblical reason to violate a government's law is if that law violates God's word. And when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he was under the authority of the Roman Empire, which was read by, which was led by one of the most uh, vicious and mentally unstable people in the history of rulers, Emperor Nero. Under that reign, there were many laws that were unfair, unjust, dare we even use the term blatantly evil. And it's in that context that Paul instructs Christians to submit to the government. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And again, 303-873-1935. If you'd like to join in the conversation or you have a question about God, the historical Jesus, about the Bible. So it's a different question altogether of whether or not the immigration laws in the United States are unfair or unjust. But that's not really the issue. And so imagine a, a group of people, and, and so this is where, where citizens should be able to say to their legislators, I want you to not just revisit, but I want you to come up with a comprehensive policy of securing our borders, but at the same time overhauling the immigration law. So some people might think, well, the immigration law is adequate or inadequate. And and again, that's a whole nother conversation that people should be willing to have all developed nations in the world 
have immigration laws. Some are more strict than the United States of America. Some are less strict. All have to deal with the problem of illegal immigration. So imagine, again, and some countries have already dealt with this in in Germany, in France, in Britain. So imagine the composition of immigrants are a combination of asylum refugees, um, people who are there legally, people who are there illegally. So it's a whole other issue of whether or not vast amounts of people who migrate from one particular place to another, will it change the language, the culture um, of a particular geographical area? The answer is yes. And so there's nothing in the Bible that would prohibit a country from having completely open borders or completely closed borders. And Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, also gives the government the authority to punish lawbreakers. Whether the punishment is imprisonment, deportation, or even something more severe, it's within the rights of the government to determine that. This is a complex issue. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. We welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. The number is 303-873-1935. It's Tough Question Tuesday, but I want to get to another uh, headline about Neuralink and Elon Musk's statement that they have, according to... uh, news outlets successfully implanted a the Neuralink uh, technology into a human being, but I'm going to come back to that. Back to the, to the illegal migration or immigration issue just very quickly. Um, and that is the vast majority, well, I... I don't have any any measure. I don't have any way to measure this. But let's just concede just for a moment that the vast majority of illegal immigrants in the United States haven't come for nefarious reasons to overthrow the government, to upset uh, social and political stability or to destabilize our government, or to overthrow our government. Now, again, we, we, we talk about the invasion crisis, the Ill, illegal immigration crisis. What if, what if, what if the vast majority of people are coming for a better life, to provide for their family, to escape poverty? And so I don't dispute that those are good goals and motivations. But imagine a person says, I am willing to break the law, ignore the Bible in order to achieve a good. Caring for the poor, caring for orphans, caring for widows is something the Bible commands us to do. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, for instance, only to ask us to remember the poor, the very thing 
I was eager to do, Paul said in Galatians. He said, hey, you know what? Um, Let's remember the poor. James chapter 1, verse 27. The brother of Jesus said, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the biblical fact that we're to care for the unfortunate doesn't mean that we violate the law in doing so. Supporting, enabling, encouraging illegal immigration is a violation of God's word. And so those seeking to immigrate to another country should always obey the immigration laws of that country. Well, what if that causes delays? What if it creates frustration? Well, frustration and delay is better than acting illegally. A frustrating law is still a law. So what's the biblical solution to illegal immigration? Well, my answer might shock you. It might surprise you. It might annoy you. Don't do it. Obey the law. So imagine a person says, well, disobedience is an option. Well, it's not a biblical option. What can be done in regards to unjust immigration laws? Change the law. It's the right of every citizen to seek change in the immigration laws. If it's your conviction that immigration law is unjust, then do everything in your power to get the law changed. Pray, petition, vote, peacefully protest. But as Christians, we should be the first to seek to change any law that's unjust. At the same time, we demonstrate submission to God by obeying the government that he's placed in authority over us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, it says, be subject to the Lord. That's not what it says. It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. Later, Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. 303-873-1935, we could talk about human trafficking. We could talk about the, the, the statement, is Jesus a refugee? Or what about seeking or granting asylum? And that's a, that's a great question. So... 
I was thinking about this other news item that I just wanted to just basically touch on. Because at Wired.com, there's an article by... um, by whoever the writer is for for Wired. I, I should know this. I should be able to find this. Oh, yeah. Emily Mullen. Emily Mullen is a staff writer at Wired who covers biotechnology, and she previously was an MIT Knight Science Journalism Project fellow and a staff writer at uh, covering the issues of biotechnology. And according to her, um, Elon Musk says a human patient has received a Neuralink's brain implant. So pause and just think about that. So Elon Musk posted on social media platform X that the first human being, the first human patient, has received a brain implant developed by his company, Neuralink. Now, the the product's name, eerily, dare, dare we use? Dare I use the term "creepy"? Well, producer Jim, you know what? You know what they've named the product? Telepathy. Telepathy. After years of delays, Neuralink started recruiting patients for a clinical trial in the fall, receiving approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and a hospital ethics board, the company is developing a device called a brain-computer interface. Musk said that Neuralink's ultimate goal is, uh, they're quoting him, to achieve a symbiosis with artificial intelligence. Isn't that creepy? In other words, achieving a symbiosis with an artificial intelligence means that there is an, an artificial intelligence and that you are, in fact, able to interact with that artificial intelligence. But for now, he's starting off with something way more modest. It's to allow paralyzed people to control a cursor or a keyboard with their brain. In a brochure about the study, Neuralink says it's recruiting participants with quadriplegia or paralysis in all four limbs due to a cervical spine cord injury or ALS. They have to be at least 22 years old, and it anticipates the study is going to take some six years to complete. So that'll be interesting. 303-873-1935. I'll have more. 303-873-1935. That's the number. When we come back, happy to take your calls. This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me. The number, again, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Arlene, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. I have a question for you. Great. Um, I've been wanting to ask you this question, but when you're on, you talk about the most interesting things, so I never want to 
call and interrupt, but I have a question. So <laughs> when the Bible says Jesus Christ, for lack of better way to ask this, is you know, it's talking about the man part of Jesus. But when it says Christ Jesus, is it referring to the deity part of Christ? Is that why it, it you know, it specifies in some areas from others? Yeah, that, that's a very, very good question. And I think that the answer is that in many languages, the word order is changed for emphasis. So you are exactly right. Jesus oh. is the human Jesus is the human name that's given to the Son of God, who, the, the person who's born to Mary. Christ is his title. You already know that. So he yeah. is he is Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. So to your point in many different languages, depending on the text or the context or the emphasis, um, they'll, they'll say, um, they'll do one or the other. There's a couple of areas in the new Testament where there's different manuscripts that reverse the order or flip the order, um, and the only explanation could be the emphasis. So statements in Greek and Hebrew shift depending on the word order. So when you put uh-huh. when you put the name Jesus first and Christ second, the emphasis is on his personal name and then the title. But when you put Christ first, the emphasis is, is on his title. So like, for instance, uh-huh. in, in Philippians chapter 2, where, where in verse 5 through 11, where Paul quotes what was most likely a Christian hymn. It's probably a song that was sung to help believers keep their theology straight. And so in the passage, Paul speaks of what, what we call the kenosis or the emptying of Jesus Christ as he takes on human form, as he divests himself of the independent use the way that the theologians talk about it is the prerogatives of the divine attribute in coming fully man. So the son of God becomes the suffering servant. And so Paul will then in Philippians 2 put the term Christ Jesus comes first in verse 5. And then he says Jesus Christ at the end of the hymn in verse 11. And so the switch seems to be, again, from the heavenly title to the human name and the human name to the heavenly title. Uh-huh. So I thought so, but I was like, because when I, you know, when I read the word, I'm like, I think there is a difference here. So, okay, thank yeah, you so I, much. Yeah. Yeah, I think the way that I would think about it is that sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it seems to have some significance. So yeah. the way that the way that I think about it is again a matter of emphasis. Okay. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you I for your call. It. Yes. I hope you're enjoying the program. Oh, I always do, Gino. We're on our way to do jail ministry, so we're excited. Well, you know what? Again, the Bible 
loves men and women and no matter what circumstance they fall fall under and guess what what a great privilege we have huh of pointing people to jesus yes oh absolutely i am so thankful that i am called to this i got saved in jail and so did my husband and we get to go give back and we're proof to them that jesus is the answer so it's awesome Thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. Again, I have open lines, so if you've ever wanted to call in now, it would be a great time to do that. 303-873-1935. And so, you know, I've been talking a little bit about immigration, illegal immigration, and obedience to the laws of the land, and Again, how how should we think about refugees? What do we think about the sanctuary movement? And as you can imagine, all of those cities that have sanctuary movements are now saying, well, maybe this was a bad idea. This is a bad idea because we're a sanctuary city, and, and now I, I think I was reading somewhere Producer Jim, where 40,000 illegal immigrants have been sent to Denver. Did you know that? Right. More than 30,000, less than 50,000. Elon Musk today on his, you know, uh, social media platform X said, referred to Denver today. He said, so Denver's complaining about 40,000. What's going to happen when it becomes 400,000? What are we going to do when we have 400,000 illegal aliens come to Denver and and the whole front range? So um, it's interesting, and I'm happy to talk about the sanctuary movement and what it is, and I I guess I could just sort of touch on that. But the sanctuary movement, by the way, describes itself as a growing movement of immigrant and over 800 faith communities doing what Congress and the administration refuse to do, protect and stand with immigrants facing deportation. So again, based on what I said earlier, is is it a good idea or a bad idea to encourage people to break the law? I think it's a bad idea. Is it a good idea or a bad idea to show God's love to people who have come illegally? I think that that's a good idea. So it's a little bit complex. The sanctuary movement, by the way, had, at least from my understanding, its United States beginnings in a place called Southside Presbyterian Church in Tucson, Arizona. In the 1980s, Southside was the first to declare itself a sanctuary for Central American refugees fleeing civil war and corrupt government. But supporters of the sanctuary movement claim that the idea of sanctuary can be traced to the beginning of the Old Testament 
continued through movements like the Underground Railroad and housing Jews in World War II. In recent years, the popularity of the sanctuary movement gained momentum in part due to former President Donald Trump's determination to bring the United States immigration policies in check and to enforce the United States existing law. And the government stepped up its efforts to slow down the river of humanity flowing into the country and during the Trump administration decided to uh, deport those who'd entered illegally. And of course, that's increased stories of families separated, children abandoned, and people torn from their homes. But at what point, at what point does, does it become a disaster? Are we already there? 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program, the number 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Steen. Long time no hear from. I know, Gino. Well, I try not to pester you too much. <laughs> well, Did welcome. Can you hear me all right? I can. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So I, we were talking about immigration. You know, you know, I'm an immigrant. And my parents, uh, we came from Denmark in 1952. I was eight years old, and which tells you how old I am now. But anyway, so here's my story. My dad fought in the underground in Denmark against the Nazis. Uh-huh. It took him, of course, today you can do this faster because you have technology, but it took him a year and a half to go through all the paperwork to get permission to come to America to look for a job. They paid him a zero, zero dollars. He had to pay his own way. He had one year to find a job or go home. Well, he, he had a master's in uh, structural engineer. It wasn't hard to find a job. But then after he got the job, he sent for my mother and my brother and I, and we came to America. But I had this discussion with, a, with two very good Mexican friends of mine. One was born in Mexico. One was born in America. And they were telling me that we should open the borders more. I told them that story, and they had nothing more to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my father and grandfather came here in 1948, shortly after the war. And yep. um, and like your father, my father and grandfather came and worked and then had to get enough money in order to send for my grandmother and my uncles and my, and my uncle and my aunts. And then they followed, I think it was in 1950 or 1951. Yeah, exactly. See, and so people have to understand, if you open all the borders, let's just get 2 billion people into the United States. How will that work out? 
Well, you know what? If you ask and answer the question in a kind of a ge- ge- geographical way and you go, okay, uh, the land mass of China is larger than the land mass of India. India has 1.3 billion people. China has 1.2 billion people. Is it possible that a billion people could fit, dare I'm going to use the word comfortably, into the United States of America? I don't doubt that that could happen, but that that another billion people could could occupy the United States of America. But as you already know, just like your family and my family, they're coming here on the on the wings of World War Two. The 21st yep. century has caused the biggest global refugee crisis, warfare, genocide, oppression. Uh, it's by some estimates there are close to 60 million refugees globally. I've already talked about one in every three human beings in Lebanon is a refugee. Um, Jordan has 500,000 Palestinian refugees. Um, Syria has been in in the midst of a civil war since 2011. 14 million people have been displaced. I met a Syrian refugee at a bank. She was a bank teller, but they came here legally. Exactly. And, 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 and so the United States has admitted almost 85,000 refugees from all over the world uh, in 2016. So when we ask and we answer the question, okay, if the legal amount of refugees admitted is about 90,000, you're a graduate of, of the mines. Imagine nine times five, 90,000 times five. 450,000. That's over five years. Now, fast forward since the Biden administration, six to nine million illegal aliens. So, so again, what, what do we do? Uh, you, you know, again, Christians should be able to agree, hey, the refugee crisis is pretty complex. Hey, what I was talking about earlier in the Bible, do, does a country have the right to have sovereign borders and laws? Did the Netherlands yeah, exactly. have sovereign borders and laws? Could anyone <laughs> and their mother go to the Netherlands and, and, and become a Dutch citizen? I know. That's exactly right. And, and by the way, so if you want to talk about immigrants, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the Muslims moved up north into into northern Europe and Denmark. Now, one thing, you know, I, Denmark's done a lot of dumb things. Right. But w- one thing they have done when the Muslims came into Denmark, the Danes said, no more habas. The women cannot hide their faces. And, and there will be no more open prayers on the street. You know what happened? They quit coming. The, the Muslims quit going to, to Denmark by the, wow. by the thousands. I know some still probably do, but they follow the law. And, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's, that's all we want, people to come, follow our laws. You know, don't change our whole society because you come from a different society. 
We, I, I, my brother, my dad, and I, we were Americans within three months. By the end of the first summer, we loved America. My mom, she loved America. She was still Danish when she died here in America. <laughs> right. That's the same of, of my grandfather and my grandmother. I mean, yeah. you know, my um, – and my father, even though he came like you as a young man, I, you said you were eight years old? Eight years old. Yeah, my father was 11 years old. And, you know, uh, it must have been tough when you go into an American school. And speak English. Yeah, yeah you, you're not you, you can't speak English. And my father had a tough time, but he eventually could get by with English with a heavy, thick Italian accent. But again, I um, I suspect that. Whatever is happening, there is going to be a cultural shift. There's a language shift and a cultural shift and an ideological shift. One of the things that I was reading about today, Steen, that 40 from that 40 million people in the last five years stopped going to church. I know it. It is sad, sad, sad. Yeah, and and uh, you know, Cindy still counsels. And, uh, you know, the very first day of her counseling, what does she do? She shares the Lord. Make sure they know not just the name of the Lord, but who he is and what he is in your relationship. That's why she's an awesome counselor. But, yeah, it's horrible. And, I mean, we have family that don't know the Lord. Most of our family does, and we're really pleased about that. But it's sad. You try to talk to them about the Lord, they don't want to hear it. And, you know, one of the challenges we have, again, is the, this issue of illegal immigration, refugees, and dare I use the term, nefarious actors invading our country. I wish yes. I could say that I know who's who and what's what, but I don't think anybody at this point knows, Steen. I don't think anybody right. knows at that at, where we're at. I agree. Hey, but it's great to hear from you. Well, it's always good to listen to you, Gino. I I do it as often as I can. (laughs) Well, pray for the refugees. Pray for their families. Pray for their troubled homeland. This is Gino Geraci inviting you to join me. The Lord willing and the crick don't rise tomorrow from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. Thanks, Jim. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.